Unlabeled Leadership is a volunteer service. We appreciate our guests for their stewardship and remarkable stories. We also appreciate listeners like you who back the show with star reviews and contributions. Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 134. Richard Metcalf helps you shift from incremental to exponential. Here's a shout out to listeners in Taiwan, Western Cape, South Africa, and in the United States, Miami, Florida, and Westminster, Colorado. With that, let's get started. What do you get when you put a McKinsey consultant, a slightly unorthodox pastor, and Freddie Mercury into a blender? Why, of course, Richard Metcalf. That's how Richard describes himself. He's an executive coach and a leadership consultant for founders of organizations, CEOs, and for leadership teams. Richard is a licensed minister in the Anglican Church who happens to live near Paris, France. Yet, thanks to the internet, he's available to you from anywhere. He is the host of the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast, which started in August of 2020. Richard has authored two insightful articles, which you'll find in the show notes, and well worth reading. Part 1. Mastermind with Freddie Mercury In my book, Nine Practices of 21st Century Leadership, I make a distinction between leadership and heroship. I discourage people from taking on the hero's role in particular ways. However, heroes can be inspirational and they can be positive role models. In this story, Richard explains one of the positive aspects of heroship. Here's Richard. The quote that comes to mind is the following. What if you were the Freddie Mercury of the coaching world? (laughs) Um, (laughs) It changed my life, actually, in some ways. Let me explain. This was before I actually left the corporate world. And I was really starting to think about, you know, what did I want to do? What was the real impact that I want to make in in my life? I started to come to the conclusion that I wanted to help impactful leaders do even more impactful stuff, make an even bigger difference in the world, multiply their impact. I got really excited about this, but I was really unsure. Do I really want to do this? Did I have what it takes? Do I have the right background? And would it even satisfy me? Would I fit in the mold? I had come from the world of strategy consulting and spent time in, in corporate technology uh, sector. Coaching was what you did if you had no more content, if you had nothing else to say, you know, just go and ask <laughs> people questions, right? I didn't want to be that kind of person. This quote, if you were the Freddie Mercury of coaching, came because the person literally said to me, you know, I worked with a coach myself, and, and he said, look, tell me some of your heroes in different spheres of life, politics, you know, fiction, nonfiction, childhood heroes, adult heroes, historical heroes, musical heroes. I haven't to mention Freddie Mercury was one of my musical heroes. He said, well, why? Well, you know, Freddie, obviously singer of Queen, he was so flamboyant. He communicated to the very back of the stadium. You know, he landed his message, you know, with no holds barred. He really brought his message so he could deliver it and impact somebody at the very far end of the stadium. He really connected with people. And even if he was singing, singing stupid words, it didn't really matter because he was really all in for what he was saying. And I just love that about him, as well as the innovation he brought to music through Queen and, and the different styles of music they experimented with. 
He said, well, you've obviously got that in you, Richard, because you, you're talking about it. It resonates with you. What you see in your heroes is obviously exists in you. So why don't you be the Freddie Mercury of coaching? <laughs> now, ah. of course, I don't, I don't, don't strut around in, you know, um, in a leotard or I don't think my CEO <laughs> clients would uh, particularly appreciate that. But it did kind of free me up because I can be super intellectual. I can be in my head. My sister's mentally handicapped. My mother died when I was quite young, really. And that gave me this sense of I need to be uber competent, never show weakness, almost, you know, just not be a burden to anybody. So I can be in my head and be invulnerable. Sometimes I can be in my head and be a little bit needy. So I can kind of let all my mess out and, and, and everything else. I'm also being in my head and overthinking things at that point too. So I can either be analytical or I can be overthinking it. I realized that when I actually embody my message, when I'm actually on fire, when I'm actually there with a purpose, when I'm really trying to communicate with somebody, then I land my message. I'm not afraid to say shocking things, pattern interrupt, saying things to get attention, to break through the noise and let people understand something in a different way. When I realized that that was the aha moment for me, that's the Freddie Mercury <laughs> part of who I am, I suppose. If you think about it, Freddie Mercury may be a fantastic example for this type of role. There is a lot of work that goes into that stage presence, to being there, to delivering that message to an audience, yeah. to everyone at a stadium that can hear. Getting to that point, you've had to do the same type of thing, whether it was in a corporate job before all this started, before you pursued this. Mm. You had to build up to the point to where you can be effective mm. at coaching professionals and executives. Yeah, and it's a and you have, yeah, it's absolutely it's a work of mastery. It's, but there's also this moment where you have to choose: Am I going to hold back? Or am I going to go all in? Uh, Yesterday, for example, I ran my CEO mastermind. I have a bunch of super high level technology CEOs. They run billion dollar companies. Some of them run smaller, high growth companies. They're a really fascinating bunch. It was the first session with a brand new set of CEOs, and I was you know I was a little bit oh heck you know how's it going to go? Working with one CEO is already intense work. Here I'm going to work with a whole bunch of of them together what's it going to be like are they going to get the value all the you know all the inner critic going on in my head before i started i had to do the freddie mercury thing throw myself all in play full out right go in there take risks do things you know i got them opening up about pretty deep stuff within half an hour of being on that call and at the end of it they were blown away and they were like wow this really exceeded our expectations we didn't know what we were going to do can't believe we've got so deep with each other already this is an amazing community everything else and they were the ones who made that what I had to do was get past that fear barrier mm. that was going to let me play it safe, do it just like anybody else would do it, and not actually bring everything that I could bring. That Freddie Mercury image, if you like, is for me, it's just that reminder to play full out. Part two, stuck in the inbox. I describe leadership as a way of helping people develop mentally and morally. David Marquet, the author of Turn the Ship Around, adds to that by saying leadership is not about getting people to do stuff. That's management. No, leadership is about getting people to think. It's about creating a work environment in which people could perform at their best. Richard's view of leadership complements that perspective, and he illustrates it in an incredible story. Again, here's Richard. I define leadership in various ways, but one way is simply messing with people's thinking, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and just having people see things in a new way that creates a new way of being in the world. 
I was working with the chief human resources officer of a really large tech company. I think they had operations in 20 countries, had many thousand employees, and he'd just been promoted to the C-suite. The CEO had asked me to just work with him and help him elevate his own impact as he kind of took on this new level of influence within the company. He'd identified some transformational initiatives that he wanted to work on and, and that were going to make a big difference for the company around employee experience and various other things. They'd never been done at this global scale before. They'd been done individually and in different countries and different regions to some degree, but they'd never really done anything so big. One day he came to me and he said, oh, Richard, I need some tips because I'm stuck in my inbox. I've got to spend too much time doing email. People come to me for tips. You know, I mean, there is one instinct where you just want to say, oh, well, have you tried setting up filters? Have you tried running this workflow? Blah, blah, blah. But generally, if people are coming with tips, they're sensible people. They know most of that stuff if they've Googled it. So I'm always curious, what's the deeper issue going on? This is where the leadership part comes in, right? Because often we have a choice between addressing the surface level symptoms or actually helping people with their thinking. I said to him, well, tell me about why are you spending so much time in your inbox? So he explained, well, you know, I, I need to get to inbox zero pretty often. I need to make sure I've really cleared things out. A lot of people are waiting for me on things. I need to be responsive. So I said, okay, to say a bit more, why is that important? Well, you know, I need to be trustworthy and reliable team player. It's important to me. I don't want to be the guy who everyone has to remind all the time. I don't want to be the bottleneck. I want to be part of the team. I want to be helpful. So I said, well, at that point, there's nothing I can do to help you. And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> you can't help me. Uh, isn't that what I'm paying you for? I said, well, you've just told me that being doing your emails and being and clearing them out quickly is you being trustworthy and responsive, right? And, and a team player. I'm not going to tell you to be untrustworthy and unresponsive and not a team player, right? And unreliable. And even if I did, you wouldn't go with that, right? That's not who you are. He said, oh, well, what do I do then? I said, well, just tell me this. If the CEO was in the room, what would he ask you for right now? What would he be wanting you to be focusing on? Oh, well, he'd be wanting me to focus on these transformational initiatives because we've talked about them and he agrees he's going to make a big difference. Okay, well, what about the um, shareholders? Oh, yeah, well, the investors. Yeah, I mean, they probably won't know too much about it, but it really does improve the performance of the company. So I'm sure they'd want me to focus on those too. Okay. Tell me a bit more. What about the employees? Oh, yeah, well, they're desperate for it. They're so fed up of our antiquated you know, internal systems. It takes so much time from them. They're, they're going to love this new initiative. And what about uh, customers? Well, customers, they're not going to know directly, but I suppose if they were in the room and they understood this is going to actually free up our team's time to focus on their needs, then again, they'd be all for that. I kind of smiled and said, well, so you're telling me that all these different stakeholders, if they were here with us today, they'd all be encouraging you to, to do the work on the transformational initiatives. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I said, well, in which case, let me put it to you that you're actually being unreliable and untrustworthy when you're spending time doing your emails and you're not being a team player. And he was like, ah, well, yeah, because you're being paid the big bucks. Everyone wants you to be doing these initiatives that are going to really going to move the needle in the company. And what you're doing instead is people pleasing on this low level. He got it, right? He was like, you know, you're right. This is not my role anymore. In that one moment, his reality shifted. He suddenly realized that doing emails was not a sign of him being reliable and trustworthy in a team player. It was actually a sign of him being distracted from the things which he was being counted on to do. So it was being unreliable. Just that one shift made a massive difference. Whereas, yeah, I could have taught him about, say, Gmail filters and blocking out his time and various things, which, you know, all useful as far as they go. But it was that identity shift and that understanding of reality, which made the difference. So I just find that's a really interesting story because it's tangible in terms of focusing on a common pain point many executives have. But it's just showing that often what we think is a tactical issue is actually a mindset and perspective issue.
What you just described was leadership in action. It's really about helping other people think about their situations in ways that are different, that gets them beyond being stuck in what they're currently doing. And giving them that perspective is incredibly important, showing that what you're actually doing isn't what you think it's doing can make a huge difference in how people function and work with other people. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to share with you one of the leadership principles and one of the underlying beliefs that I think are relevant, and I'd just like to hear your comment on it. Sure. The principle is encourage growth. It's very simple, mm. a simple concept. The underlying belief that I think is relevant is helping others figure out how their development enhances their ability to contribute. And you can almost take that to how they work with the company. How is that enhancing how they're contributing to the organization towards the performance of the company, towards adding to the business goals? When you were sharing your story, that principle and that belief came to mind. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great one. There's always a sense of outside in and inside out. You know, your inside out is often, well, what am I trying to achieve? What are my goals or what I'm trying to do in this moment? And then the outside in is really, well, what's success in this context? Like, what is needed of me? Mm -hmm. What are my stakeholders requiring of me? What I do when I work with leaders or with teams, I often get them to ask the same thing. It's like, you know, who wants to be in the room with us today? Who are the different stakeholders? They might have conflicting requirements. You're going to have to hold intention, but actually, who's going to judge you in different ways, right? And I think that that's definitely one component. And then I think the other component is then maximizing your contribution, thinking about how to, where do I focus on my contribution? Part three, find your biggest bottleneck. You might have heard the phrase, the person that is holding us back is ourselves. We tend to put barriers in our way that prevents us from achieving what we want to achieve. Richard offers some advice on how to deal with those barriers and identify them. Here's Richard. I have a distinction, and it's one that we use a lot in X Quadrant, which is my company. The distinction is incremental leadership versus exponential leadership. Mm. And most people want to play the incremental game. It's conventional. It's kind of like adding on to where, where we're at, making uh, you know, a step forward. And that's fine, right? It's kind of conventional success. But what's this game of exponential leadership where behind you looks flat and ahead of you looks vertical when you're really trying to change gears, when you're really trying to, to shift it up? I've got an article called Exponential Leadership Principles, so it's a bit complicated, but let me boil it down into the fact that there's always one thing which is holding us back. And if we can just address that one thing, then our impact and our contribution is going to move up to the next level. We're going to release the bottleneck. And so the question I'm always asking people is, where is your biggest bottleneck right now? So there are four areas. And I ask people just to think about very specifically, which of the four areas is your bottleneck? The first one is commitment. Sometimes we're not even really truly committed to the goals that we're setting ourselves. There should do goals or we're not really sure we want to get there. We might be fearful about getting there. We might be fearful about committing to them. Or we might be on the team level, right? The team, we just might not be committed yet. We might not really truly believe. The first one is, are, are we committed? And we can apply this to ourselves, to our teams, to our organizations. They, they kind of work on all the levels. That's like a, a limitation of the heart almost. Like, are we really bought in? The second one is, is attention. What am I putting my attention on? Am I putting my attention on the highest value initiatives? Am I putting my attention on the things that are really going to move the needle? Am I just keeping the lights on? 
working on the recurring day in, day out, week in, week out, you know, per customer tasks that need doing and are not going to actually move things forward. And the attention is so real, especially in corporate America with management, because on the mm. operation side, I'm thinking in particular, because you're hit with what the, the I, I guess the metaphor is putting out fires. There's all this mm. stuff coming up, all this noise. And that's the kind of stuff that you can easily, like in your mm. previous story, you can focus on and you could choose to focus on, but it doesn't help the company move forward. It doesn't help evolve operations. It's so easy not to prioritize what you should be attending to and just let the inbox, so to speak, or the events direct and pull you in the direction that you shouldn't be going. Yeah, firefighting seems fun on one level, right? You know, yeah. you get a buzz from it, you feel needed, probably something within your comfort zone or often that's not that difficult, but you know, it's, it's just high intensity work but it might actually be well within your comfort zone to deal with the problems. Yeah. And so it can be a bit of a buzz. Let's face it, fighting fires, things are on fire. It means your house is burning down. It means people are at risk, right? I mean, it's actually a terrible thing to be fighting fires. If you think about what it actually means, right? It's like, why would we be so proud that we've been putting out so many fires? Why don't we actually create a no-fire environment, right? And that's yeah. what leadership is. Leadership is getting ahead of the game, working on the systems. There's a great story, I, I, I haven't validated its veracity, but around Starbucks CEO who turned up to one of the franchise stores and noticed that um, one of the, uh, the lights on the sign was not functioning. So it said, you know, Tarbucks hmm. or something. Apparently, you know, he, he went to the manager and, you know, what did he do? Well, he could have done many things. He could have shouted at the manager, you know, this is ruining our brand. You know, he could have said, where's the ladder? You know, let's sort this thing out right away, whatever, right? He didn't do any of those. He just picked out his phone, rang up his operations director and said, hey, Bob, what's our system for broken light bulbs? So he immediately went to the system in the oh. process. It's like, well, let's fix this once and for all. Because if it's happening in this shop, it's probably happening in a thousand others around, around the country. He could have just fought that particular fire, but he didn't. He put out the fires permanently. When you focus on the systemic problem, you eliminate fires. And that's where I think a lot of people, why this attention concept that you're bringing up is so crucial, mm. because we can easily not solve the root problems by just running around with our hands waving in the airs, dealing with each of these as they come up. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then, then the other two are action. Sometimes, you know, we've got our focus in the right place, but either we're not taking action or we haven't developed the right skills or we're letting ourselves down in some way, right? So sometimes we just need to look at, you know, what's the results of the action we're getting? Are we actually focusing in on the right things? And then the, the final one is influence. I like to say we never have enough influence. We've never got all the influence we need to achieve all the goals we want to achieve because otherwise they would already have been achieved, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we always need to up our influence. We might say, well, I've got tons of influence in my team, but not in my organization. I, you know, I can really influence my organization, but not my industry, or I can influence my industry, but not the country, or you know, whatever level we're playing at, there's always another level. So I'm always really asking people to say, well, you know, choose and focus. You've got to work on commitment right now, on where you're putting your attention, on the quality of your action, or on the extent of your influence. Just by really focusing on one of those four things and putting your attention on that for a while, I think what you'll find, what I see with my clients, is that they suddenly be able to do extraordinary things. Because once you actually deal with the blocker, because most of the things we do are compensating for a lack of influence. Mm. They're compensating for our half-hearted commitment. We're working like busy bees, not moving the needle because we've put our attention on those fires, for example, and all the, all the oughts and shoulds around us. Or we're just not being effective in what we're doing. 
so often, you know, we, we're spending all our time focusing on that and trying to compensate for it. But actually, just a bit of focus on one of those four areas will unblock things for you. It's around commitment, attention, action, and influence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Those are all things that are within our ability to work on. That's the thing. You know, it's not like we're talking about, you know, the geopolitical situation or whatever it is, right? The market trends, right? These are all things which are impacting our own impact in the world. And so my philosophy really, and the philosophy that I've built into X Quadrant is say, let's work on multiplying impact rather than incrementally adding to impact. And the only way you can multiply impact is to address the limiting factor and then to build on where you've got to. There's a, this theory about dominoes. I don't know whether you know this. If you line up dominoes, each domino can knock over a domino that's 50% bigger. Mm. And so, you know, you start off with a small domino, which hits a bigger domino, which hits a bigger domino. And within about however many, 10 or 20, I don't know, dominoes, right? You're knocking down something the size of a door. And then a couple of later, you're knocking down the size of a football field or a skyscraper, right? <laughs> and it's the power of, of compounding, right? It's the power of, of building on what you've already accomplished and getting momentum. And I think so often we get caught on the hamster wheel and we don't build the flywheel. And that's what I love addressing with people. This is another example of the intersection between coaching and leadership. And I think with a lot of people from your stories is that people may have the best intentions. They want to do what's right. They don't wake up in the morning and say, gosh, I'm going to do the worst I can at work. People really want to contribute and make a difference, but they don't have that perspective. And when you come in with your executives as a coach, you're actually helping them think through things in a different way to give them that perspective and to help them develop some principles for how to think about their situations so they can really do serious contributions to problems and opportunities rather than handle and wrestling with symptoms that really pull them in the wrong direction. Yeah, and it's normally fear-based as well. There's a, often there's a hidden degree of fear. You know, um, yeah. people get caught, they do too many things because they're people-pleasing or they get caught in perfectionism, you know, or they get caught in fear of failure or, or fear of experimentation or whatever it is, right? And I'm always saying to people, focus on contribution. It's the ultimate long-term play always going to work out <laughs> is my belief yeah you, know, yeah. You, yeah you might it, sometimes it might not work out in the very short term sometimes i say don't worry playing so many political games just maximize your contribution because that's focusing on value the more value you add the more secure you're going to be in life more people are going to be on your side i've done some work with some companies and there is a tendency for people being promoted to middle management to be technical functional experts mm. It's like they understand the business. They get the perspective. Let's bring them in. Let's elevate them to a new level, get them to do the work because they can really guide and lead a division, a team, a set of teams without issue. But it's the technical functional parts that they're experts in and they're comfortable with that. I have a feeling that people like you come in and say, look, your technical functional expertise is great. That's where you're comfortable with operating and functioning, but that's not your role anymore and helping them see the perspective of what they should be doing and keeping them from following into what they're comfortable doing is a way of preventing them from adding those. Right. Yeah. Incremental um, leadership or exponential. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. And it seems that when you're helping someone make that transition to shifting from the incremental 
that's where you really can add value and help someone develop and grow and be able to make substantial contributions. Yeah, I find often the phrase that comes out is like, I'm a really strong operational leader and I want to become more of a strategic and transformational leader. Yeah. And it's about getting out of the weeds and reinventing that success formula, right? What got us where we are is not going to get us to the next level. And it's always scary because normally most leaders have generated a, have got a good little machine that working, right? Creating impact yeah. that works for them. And, and it's quite scary to go, am I going to reinvent this to go to a new level? I like to say to them, it's time for your Madonna moment. And they kind of look at me. <laughs> and, anyway, it's back, to, it's back to this Freddie Mercury style thing. It's like, it's reinvent yourself, come out with a, you know, find a new formula, right? Don't do last year's job, do next year's job. Get into a way of thinking about what needs to change to move us forward. And I think you're right. It's you know, even, even CEOs, you know, even founders who build amazing businesses, they also have to reinvent themselves, right? They also have to go, you know, there's a stretch for me in this next phase of my business or in my career. What's it going to like for me to elevate myself, to get out of the weeds a bit more, to shift my focus? And I think that's where the magic happens. My thanks to Richard Medcalf. If you'd like to learn more about Richard, go to the show notes. And if you have a question or comment, go to unlabelleadership.com, click the message icon, and leave a voicemail message for up to one minute. I'd like to thank those who contribute to the show. Your donations makes a difference because this is an all-volunteer service. Thank you for listening. This is Gary DePaul. Until next time, lead on.